Hello and welcome to episode 9 of There's Still Time, the AFTN podcast. We're recording the podcast today from the Alpen Club in Victoria Drive, so many thanks to them for opening up their upstairs for us. And we're celebrating after Bayern's win in the Champions League, which I'm sure everyone doesn't really care about. This is one of two special round tables we're doing in this this bye week that the Whitecaps have. So we're going to have a look back at the season today and some other stuff. And then in the second one, we're going to have a look ahead to the Montreal game. So we're joined by a special panel today. My usual co-host, Steve Pander. Hello, everybody. From the Curva Collective, Zachary Meisenheimer. Good to be here. AFTN writer and Southsider, Jay Duke. Hello. And another pivotal member of the Curva Collective, Massimo Cassano. Hello. The angry part of the Curva Collective. <laughs> there's, there's, just so for the record, there's no the, it's just Curva Collective. Oh, sorry. sorry. Apologize. You should know that. You I know. Get that out. <laughs> so let's just kick things off with a little look back at the Whitecaps season so far. Highs, lows, favourite moments, low moments. How do, you, how do you think the season's gone so far? Yeah, I think it's not been the greatest season results-wise. We started off very well. First couple games, very positive, obviously. Home results, really happy with that. Our waveform uh, obviously was not what we'd like it to be and kind of sent us into a bit of a, uh, a lull, a bit of a, a negative pattern there. From then on, uh, I think uh, coming into the busy, the first really busy part of the season, I think things have picked up. Uh, the away results have continued to not be uh, great in the league, but with uh, coming to the Voyager's Cup, I think we've got built some confidence in, in games uh, against Edmonton and even in the first leg in Montreal. And I think we will hopefully continue to build on that. Um, the win over LA was obviously massive to get, I think, things back on track and I think helped with uh, how we played in Portland and how we played uh, against Portland here and in Montreal. And I think uh, Wednesday, I think, is pivotal for, for this first part of the season and for... Uh, for us as supporters, I think obviously uh, to finally win the Voyagers Cup would just be massive, and um, and this it's going to be it's going to be massive either way. Either we're going to win and it's going to be massive, or we're going to lose and it's going to be massively disturbing. We'll get to the Voyagers Cup in that moment here, but I want to go back to the part of the form on the road. Like, what is it about their form on the road that has hurt them in their first three seasons? It's just not. It seems not to be clicking. Like Montreal's already kind of turned that around with their opening wins in Portland and Seattle. Jay, what do you think? What What is it about their play on the road that completely turns this team into a different side on when they go when they travel? I think it's an interesting question. Just Just because if you're comparing uh, this year to last year, which is really what you're going to compare, because those are Martin Rennie's you know times in charge. And I wrote about this earlier, is that the the product has actually looked a little better, especially in Houston, in Chivas, uh, and even at times in San Jose, although, you know, uh, we did get a result in that game, we may not have deserved the, the draw, but we've looked like we're pushing forward and we're we're creating more chances. We look like we're more competitive, whereas... Last year, at the same time last year, there's been a lot of comparisons. Oh, how many points do we have this year? How many points did we have compared to last year? We, we won a lot of games we didn't deserve to win, and we just packed it in at the beginning of last year, hoping to really riding the defense to, to any sort of results. So 
well, you can be critical that the, the the points haven't been there. It looked like, at least at first, that that, that Martin Rennie had been moving forward and, and had been taking a step forward at the beginning of the year. Now, that being said, it's almost like the, the season so far has, has kind of turned a little, and it seems like the last few games, even a couple moments at home, that they've really been on the back foot again, and they've been more focused on defending and shutting down and slowing down the game. And I don't know if that's necessarily the answer in the league or, or with the club that we have here. I don't know if we have the attacking ability to completely dominate and to, com- to completely run with Seattle or any of the other real strong attacking teams. But I don't know what the answer is on the road. I just don't think it's packing it in defensively either. If the if it has been a mandate from the coaching staff to play more defensively the last few games, I'm not completely surprised. Because if you go this long without keeping a clean sheet, uh, I think that is where your focus needs to be. So I'm not too surprised by that. But going back to the idea of why we haven't been successful on, on the road, I completely agree with you, with you Jay, that the, uh, the performances, especially in the first two road games in Houston and Chivas, were better than any performances we had on the road last year, even though the results weren't there. And I think what's happening right now on the road, it's completely mental, completely mental. And I think, you know, even though the season is only, what, a third of the way in or a quarter of the way in or wherever we are, the turning point already was the Houston road game. The, the fact that, you know, the Caps had a one nothing lead. They had that chance to make it 2-0. If you get a positive road result in the first game of the season when the performance was good... That could spur you on. You would have been, you know, uh, the Caps would have been three wins, no losses after three games. Like, everything would have happened. So you have those two positive results at home. You go on the road. You're playing well. You have a one nothing lead. You have a chance to make it 2 nothing. It doesn't happen. Up to now, I think that's been the turning point in the season. If they get three points out of that game in Houston, who knows where they'd be. And maybe it continues on despite the injuries they had to Kenny Miller in his absence and despite Jay Demerit being out. I think that was... That was the turning point of the season right now. And so then you had that. You had another decent kind of performance in Chivas. And then once you had those two negative results on the road, it's just something that perpetuates itself. And I don't know how they turn it around. But I think if they keep that positive mentality and at least try to play, positive things can happen. But that that was really the turning point to me. If they would have gotten three points in Houston or even held on for a draw in Houston, I think we would see a much better position in the table than we are right now. I mean, if you look at the results as a whole, I think it's really been a mixed bag. But if you look at where they are in the standings, you know, if I got to choose positive or negative, maybe I'll... I'll keep to my reputation here and I'll be on the negative side of things because, um, you know, even though the performances for the most part have probably been okay, the position in the standings is not good enough. Um, and that's that's something to be concerned about. Now, does anybody think that the... Like, I don't want to single out players, but I am going to now. A couple of players that haven't performed well on the road, Alain Rashad and, and Gershon Coffey, a couple of fan favorites, my fa- even me, I would love those guys, but they haven't performed well on the road. Is that a carryover from the expansion season? Do you think, does anybody think that the mental side of it, like you were saying it's a mental game, is that a carryover or does anybody like, disagree that? I, I, I personally, I don't think so. I, I think they, and I think they both played well in Montreal. As in Montreal, yes, but I'm talking about earlier in the year. They, they kind of disappear on the road. I, I, don't, I don't think 2011 has any impact on Alain Rochat and how he's playing right, right now. And I think the same for, for Gershon Kofi. And I agree, I agree with what you were saying, Mass, about... It was nice to see um, in Montreal them, them kind of be serious about keeping a clean sheet. And I think it helped that it was in a, obviously in a cup match where, with away goals and all that kind of stuff. 
And I know the when people saw the lineup, I know people were maybe I, I was when I, when I heard that when I was told the lineup, I was a little bit caught off guard. But I, I think it was I, I think a job they set out to do a job and they did it and they almost did it to perfection that night. And I think I think that that's we need we need to take one game at a time, which I think they're do which I think they're doing right now, pretty well not perfectly but pretty well. But essentially, they played with six defenders that game. Yes. With with Nigel Rio Coker yes. as a right back. Mm-hmm. Uh, and with Elaine Rochat as a left winger, really kind of a really low left midfielder. And with a defensive midfielder who's really a center, block, center back in Brad Russin. So, so while you, like, you're right, they, they got the result. So you, you, it's hard to be too critical. But if they wouldn't have, if they would have lost that game 2-0... People would have been calling for Martin Rennie's head because they would have said, "Look at you know they've been, they've gone ultra defensive. They, you know, they brought in all these ex Real Hawks who are no good, and they you know are just trying to pack it in now, and they haven't gotten any results." Two things: uh, Brad Russin has and can play holding midfield. I know, I know, I know. I think sometimes people get caught up when they when when uh, when, when Nigel was brought in and when Johnny was brought in. Everyone's like, oh, they can play this position and that position. And then they got here, and, and everyone, and then people were like, no, uh, Nigel will be a central midfielder, and Johnny will only be a center back. Um, I, and I think uh, Brad Russin is not the same. I think when Brad Russin was came in. They said he could play a holding midfield role, and he has for Martin in the past. And I think he, I think he did that well. The other thing I would like to say is that, I th- and I know this, this is part of like, hey, let's talk about things or whatever, and what could have happened, which what, you know, what might happen or whatever. The thing is, we did get the result. So to, I think to say, you know, if we had lost that game or whatever, sure, of course, people would have been disappointed in, in the lineup. But I think the, the good thing is the the gaffer set out a plan, and they and I think the players followed to it, followed it to virtually a T. And really, we 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 could have, or like many of our games this year, we should have had more goals, or we created enough chances to score at least one goal in that match. And I think we did a great job. At, at, at holding Montreal at bay, even with the tactics of having like a Nigel playing right back to, to keep out Romero on, on our right side on their I left side. I think that's more more important than anything right now, especially on the road, because results are what going to bring are, are what are going to breed confidence for the future. So what that we played well in the first two road games, the results weren't there. We needed those points. We didn't get any points, and that's hurt us in the standings. So if they need to play ultra defensively to get the results to get confidence back up, to get the belief there that they can pull, get something on the road, and then maybe they can start being more attacking. That's fine with it. I don't want to see that, you know, I don't want to see those tactics, you know, for, into infinity in the future here. But if that's what they need to do now to get more confidence back in the squad, I can live with that. Which is what we know our coaching staff is about. They are very big on the philosophy of how do we build confidence in our players? If you... if. Um, I've heard uh, some of them speak at, at public engagements before, and this is part of their philosophy, is how do we raise up our players? How do we encourage our players? Which I love because that's what I think we as supporters are about. How do we encourage our players? How do we help them lift their game? How do we help them, you know, how do we help them play to the best of their abilities or ideally even above their abilities, which can take on different forms at different times, but ideally I think it should be positive, and that's what this coaching staff is about. And I think that's what they're I think that's what they're doing in, in, in how they've handled things in the last week or two anyways. And I think we are gonna see it really ultra defensive for the next couple of weeks. When we go to New York, we're gonna play the same kind of game that we played in Montreal. 
would expect possibly the same in Seattle, but because it's a local derby, he might want to try and be a bit more attacking. And Martin Rennie was on Whitecaps daily after a couple of away losses, saying the one thing they needed to focus on was to tighten up at the back. And that seems to be what he's doing. Whether that is going to appeal to not just the supporters, but the casual fan that's maybe sitting watching that on TV, if you're sitting watching those games on TV, is that going to entice you to come and watch the game at BC Place? Now, we know they play differently at BC Place, but if somebody's just sitting at home watching that, do you think that's going to bring it in? Do you think... Why do other teams play the same on the road? When, when I spoke to Caleb Porter after the, the Portland game last week, what he said and what so many of the Portland players said was they don't play any differently home or away. And other teams are doing that. You're seeing Salt Lake's going on the road. They're getting points by, by playing attacking football. San Jose's doing it. LA's doing it. Is it something which we have players that are capable of doing? Or... Do you think Martin Ray just doesn't feel we've got players capable of being able to, to play aggressively on the road and cover at the back? The question is, do they oversell the speed of the players? That like you know how they're going to be playing on with speed with all the new young players coming in? Do they do they oversell it? Do they, do they oversell it to the supporters? No, I don't. Media? I don't think. I don't think those players were oversold. I think there was an over See, like, expectation yeah, on the well, young rookies from the, uh, mainly from the media comparing this team to last year and say oh how we're so uh, how there's so much more depth and how all this sort of thing but that's expecting positive results from young players who have never been pro- professional before I think that was uh, incredibly naive on the people that had those expectations I don't think that was sold to us by the coaching staff. I think that was, you know, people getting all excited about having a couple high draft picks and just having this automatic expectation that they were going to be, you know, positive contributions right away. But, you know, going back to what Michael was saying, just in terms of why we play differently, I just think it is something that's in the culture of this club right now. This, in three years in MLS, this club has not had success on the road. That's something that needs to be changed. And how you change that, you need to change that by just, you know, Results is what changed that. You need to change that mentality. And you do that by getting results. Results will change the performances and it will just grow from there. And um, at this point in time, I'm willing to live with that. And if that's something you sit at home and, you know, the casual fan on TV watches it and it's a, uh, you know, a negative performance and it's a nil-nil draw, something like we kind of saw in Montreal, you know, if the casual fan doesn't really enjoy it very much, too bad. I don't really care, to be honest. I think the result is more important than anything at this point in time. But... Is a nil-nil draw in New York where you get the just dominated in possession, outchanced six to one, mm-hmm. uh, and you end up with a nil-nil draw or one-one draw? Is that is that really that positive a result? Will Will the Whitecaps? Will Elaine Rochat, YP Lee, and Gershon Kofi, who have been having problems with their form on the road, will they go into their next away game and go? Yeah, you know, I feel really good about that performance, and I feel like we're really getting it together now. I, I'm just not sold that that's the way to to really build your form on the road is by just trying to bunker down and and really eke out a nil nil draw, even though you get completely dominated. Well, I mean, I I wouldn't want to see exactly Chelsea versus Barcelona type defending, but I mean, something that we saw if it's something along the lines of what we saw in Montreal, I could live with that. If we look at the last home game, though, against Portland, we were out-possessed 2-1 yeah. at, at home. Now, we got out of that with a draw. We should probably have got a win. Whether we deserved to get a win or not, we should probably have got it the way the game had been going. 
do we have the players that can switch from playing so defensive on the road and then can play a different attacking game at home? Or do they then struggle, as we maybe saw against Portland, that they can't then switch the attack and switch on and suddenly dominate games? Or was it just a case that Portland are a team that have done well on the road and have won a lot of possession on the road and that was maybe just a one-off? Or it, could it, be, or it also could be also the fact that they were worn out because of three games in a week. Yeah, in my posi- from my perspective, I wouldn't confuse possession necessarily with attacking play. I mean, those are two kind of different things. Yes, usually if you have lots of possession, you have the ball and you can attack. But I think if I think you can still be attacking in the sense of not having the majority of possession in terms of when you do have the ball, it's quick strikes at goal, perhaps a more direct game. And I think that's what we've seen. If you look at, you know, scoring chances in that game, even though Portland had the majority of possession, I think it's fair to say that we had probably more definitely more scoring chances than they did. So, I would say that I, I still think the attacking the attacking side of the game at home has been there. The possession has not necessarily been there, which can be a little concerning. And it has, is a short sample size over the last couple of weeks. I would want to see more if that's something that's going to be a trend in the future. Um, but I would like to see that sort of change. But I think our outlook in terms of how we have pr- approached the game at home has been okay. And, um, uh, you know, I think the results that we've had at home bear that out. So do you think this is a counterattack kind of tactic change that they want to do or is this just a possession with purpose that they want to do now? If it is, it's certainly not what it looked like they were trying to do when they started the season. And that's the part that concerns me a little bit is that it seemed like they were headed towards a possession with intention, try and, try and control possession, especially with you know a couple guys like uh, with Rio Coker in the middle I know they had probably high plans for Kobayashi to to be a real good possession player, but it looks like it's kind of changing it in front of our eyes right now, and that we're seeing more of a team that is going to be more counter-attacking. And I wouldn't be surprised that if Daigo's absence is partially responsible for that lack of possession in the last couple of home games. I mean, even though his performance hasn't been spectacular, I mean, that's his type of game, being on the ball. Whereas if you put someone else in there, you know, let's use a Hurtado, for example, you know, he's going to run at you, take on the defender, which is more likely to either turn the ball over or create a cross into the box, which, you know, either it creates a scoring chance or let's say it goes out for a goal kick, for example, and then the ball goes back to the opposition. So I think Daigo really helps this team in maintaining possession, even though he hasn't been getting, uh, you know, the most plaudits for his play over the last little while. Talking about Daigo then, and if we have a look at the midfield, what I want in the whole team is a lot more stability. We can't keep changing three, four, five players every single game because they're just, no matter how much they play together in training, they're just not going to, to have that gelling aspect. I would like to see a midfield of Rio Coker, Tybert and Kofi get some time to bed in, learn each other's games, how to play off each other. But then if they do that, how do you fit Kobayashi in there? When Kobayashi's fit again, does he come back in the team? And if so, at whose expense? And kind of keeping with the midfield thing, I'll throw this one out to everyone as well. Every team seems to play with a DM in this league. Is that something that the Whitecaps need to do, especially at home? What would the alternatives be? Could you have a four-man midfield of including Kobayashi, and have one of those guys rotating in the DM role. Would that work, or how would that go? 
a couple of things. Daigo's out for a little bit longer. I got to speak to him on Thursday. Uh, at earliest he'll be available for selection is New York, but probably more likely Seattle. The DM thing is very interesting. As I understand it, uh, they will only they they like to have a shield in front of the back four. Obviously, if they play with Jun, they'll play with a single shield. If they don't play with Jun, they want a double shield. So and this is just how I understand things from certain conversations. So Jun 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 is their single shield option, and if he's not in, then they want essentially let's say Nigel and Gersh as a double shield from the back. The back four, obviously, with some license for one of them, at a, ideally at a time, to get to get forward and support. So I think uh, that I think that's a big part of the midfield question and what, what you'll see happen if 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 Jun is starting, he's the single guy. If, if he's not starting, you'll see two guys ideally holding. So that it, so it all depends, and that all depends on how you want to line things up. And I like how I like how the gaffer has said, "Look, I'm not hung up on formations. We are we need to be a fluid football team that." takes on different shapes at different times and I think that's important in modern fo- modern football um, the the Daigo question is a really a really good one where is he suited best and, it, and as we're talking about him being a very uh, possession oriented person I, I, I would agree with those who have said he is a little bit wasted on the wing he wasted out wide so if we are beginning lining up like a 3-4-3 three, three, um, or, or sorry 4-3-3 three, three, I think he is a little bit lost on the wing and I do think I do think that Russell um, can play. I think Russell's favorite position is a, is attacking central midfielder. However, growing up in our residency, uh, as Massimo has reminded me over the time, he played mostly wide wide left. Even though his favorite position was inside, um, I uh, never actually thought he played that well in the D two days when he was playing there. He, you know, I, I don't remember him playing too much in the, D, in the that much in the D two days, but in the residency program. Um, he played a lot, a lot wide left, and um, th- that's where um, Thomas they, brought him through. Thomas Landorf brought him but through. But they weren't playing against the top competition either at that time during the residency. They were playing against American teams and stuff like I'm that. I'm thinking more. So. I mean, he was playing in the PDL. Yeah. yeah. And so that's. Okay. I mean, at the age he was at that time, I would say that was pretty good competition. Pretty good for competition. Him. So if you want to fit all those guys in and you want to keep a sort of a starting four-three-three kind of thing. Uh, I agree. I would love to see. I'd love to see Nigel and Gersh together. Um, I appreciate Jun, and uh, I love what he brings and offers the club in terms of options. Um, but not having Nigel and Gersh together there, and I think then you can put Dago in front of them, and you can put Russell as the wide left or even the wide right in those three. Up that but three why not move to a four-four-two? Sometimes yeah, I, that's what I personally would like to see—a four-four-two diamond. I've, we've talked about it before in other podcasts. I think I've heard you talk about that before. And then with Dago right behind the strikers, basically. Yeah. And then you got Russell, who can play one of the side tips, and he can also move wide if he needs to, stay short. A lot of options there, I think. My my question is, you see a lot of other teams who have a defensive midfielder, uh, and I know that this is probably an, an unfair, uh, an, you know, where it's a little unfair to c- compare Ozzy Alonso in Seattle to you know a defensive midfielder that we have because he's just he's so good. But but even when you, if you go look at you know how they're playing in uh, with with Will Johnson Diego Chara in Portland with um, you go to Sporting Kansas City and I think it's Nagamura who they normally have playing in the holding role there they're all players who have uh, who are 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 responsible defensively but have license to get forward when they want whereas it seems whether by design or whether by uh, Jun's just his natural desire to be sound defensively 
he he very rarely and it's hard to be critical because he's had a couple good games in a row, but he's he's really doesn't contribute anything forward. So why is it that we have to have Gershon Kofi and and Nigel Rio Coker, who are both box to box, sound defensively, but get forward once in a while, type players in midfield, and another player shielding in John Marquez Davidson? Why don't we have if you want to have the two people shielding, that's great. But then you have an attacking midfielder who is given full license to go and create. Whereas right now we're not really doing that. You're 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 having a defensive midfielder who is extremely extremely conservative, and two box to box midfielders who are not really known for their offensive flair. I'm not sure. I, th- I think part of that is in, in having uh, a holding midfielder that. Uh, Virtually all they do is primarily hold, not get forward very much. I think the philosophy behind that, and this this is my observation and perspective, is that that's done to allow our experienced fullbacks to get forward, which, okay, fair enough, maybe they haven't as much as we would like in some situations. I hope they have. No. Yeah, okay, yeah. But that, so that's, I think that's a philosophical re- reason for that. Have one guy who's going to sit, almost be like a third center back or a stopper in front, you know, front of your, 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 your two center backs, which then he, he, his job is to read the game and say, okay, Alain has gone forward. I need to cheat left and, and, and help fill his, that spot. Or, okay, Lee has gone for, bombed forward. I need to... to so it's, it's, you know, do you see that around the league? Is that something that you see on, in every other team is... is are are the fullbacks reluctant to get forward on other teams because they only have one holding midfielder? You still see a lot of over, overlapping runs, and and hopefully your one holding midfielder should it be Rio Coker, should it be Kofi, should it be the the two of them in a pivot? You would hope that one of them would go, oh, I can't move forward right now. Lee is is all the way on the the opposing goal line. I better hold back just a little bit. I think I think our do our two fullbacks at home. Do attack more than than the majority of other fullbacks in the league, and I think that gives us our width at home, and I think that's kind of why we've been successful. So I think having a strict holding midfielder at home uh, is not is not the end of the world. And I think when Davidson's played well, it's looked good. When he's played poorly, it hasn't looked good. So he's taken that criticism justifiably in those situations. So it's pretty much how do we get June's performances to be consistently positive and then I can live with those negative passes if you say that if those backwards passes because I think that helps the rest of the team to be successful we just need to make sure that he continues to have good games because I think when Jun has a good game it seems like the rest of the team is having a good game as well Martin Rennie said after the, the Salt Lake game he kind of gave a really strong indication away. Uh, away, sorry, um, when we lost that he kind of gave a really strong indication that He's going to change the fullbacks on the road. It didn't sound like Rashad and Lee would be playing much away from home. And we know that Lee maybe isn't going to play in the East because that's been mentioned quite a bit. So who, who fits in there? Do you see Rio Coker continuing as right back? Is Harvey going to get the chance to play left back? And if he does do that, would you like to see Rashad play in kind of left midfield? Because I thought, I thought he was way better as a left midfielder than we've seen recently in away games as, as a left back. Well, one thing is for sure is Rio Coker won't be doing that against New York. No. So if, if he's going to do that, he's going to have to go and jump in it with Klazura. 
Which, for that spot. I wasn't there, but Greg looked very positive in the the, the highlights of the the Portland Reserve match. Oh, he, he had a he great was game. Bombing he had, four, yeah, like, yeah. Uh, he was really. It, good. it looked like we were, we, when I was watching, I was like, "This looks like I'm watching his but college he, highlights." Where but he's yeah. also looked shaky at times defensively, which was not in the highlights. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but I, I'm, I'm willing to give him a shot in the league game, yeah. and he hasn't gotten it yet. And before I say no, he can't play that position, I actually need to see it with my own eyes. Is Martin Rennie waiting for him to grow back the hair so he can put the headband back? <laughs> I don't know what the reason is, but I mean, having been with the team for a year and a half and not gotten the opportunity in a league game, what does that say? Does it, if, the coaching, if the coaching staff doesn't have the confidence in you, then bring in a player you have the confidence in to actually give, you know, to actually play them in a game. It's no use being on the roster if you're just there to take up a roster spot. You either give him an opportunity in a game so then we can actually judge him against MLS competition, or you find another player. Like mm-hmm. to have someone just take up that roster spot and say, "Okay, well we have Greg there, but if Greg doesn't play, then you know, then then how can you really judge?" I'm willing to give him a shot in the game and see what happens and go from there because every time he's I've seen him, whether it be reserve play or in Voyagers Cup games. He has been, you know, a pre- pleasant surprise in my mind. So I want to give him a shot. He hasn't exact. Uh, YP Lee hasn't exactly been so wonderful going forward. Even when he does get forward, his crossing leaves a lot to be desired. He he's a lot better in possession, uh, you know, mm-hmm. doing the short passes. But it's not as if if trying Greg out on the on the as a right fullback would be a huge detriment to your team going forward either. He 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 may not be as smart positionally but man for what he lacks in his positional ability he makes up for in his athleticism the the man is he's very quick and he can run all day he can bomb down the right wing all game long and he has no problem getting back when he needs to reminds me of a right fullback we used to have (laughs) this is one of the things let's (laughs) let's see it let's see it before we write it off completely I I think back to a couple things you said uh, Michael I think for me Alain Rochette has to play like, I prefer him to play left back or perhaps on the left side somewhere uh, as opposed to center back or even holding midfielder primarily. But to me, Lamarchat's in your team. He needs to play. He's the kind of guy where if he's going through some poor form, I think we need to ride that out because of his experience, because of his abilities, because of his quality. For me personally, I wouldn't say that about every player in the side, but I think Lamarchat with his experience needs to be, needs to be there. But how, how long do you give him playing badly? I, I mean, he's not sure. It hasn't been, yeah, it hasn't been ideal, but it's not like he's been the worst player on the park either. No. So, I mean, and I think that goes hand in hand with, you know, poor team performances as well. It's been, I think our sample size is too small at this point in time to say, you know, we need to, you know, throw, out, throw the baby out with the bathwater here. A little bit more time I want to see to you know kind of ride this out like like Zach said and and if that opportunity is you know maybe defensively he hasn't been as great on the road if he plays in the midfield either in a central position or out wide uh, I think yeah with his qualities that's a player we need on the park more times than not because I think we're a worse team with him on the bench just just I also just want to say this that uh our podcast does not recommend throwing the baby out of the bathwater at any time. <laughs> uh, but uh, getting back to that, I think the thing I think about Rashad is with him, he, he was such a good player on the bad teams that that's where people are wondering what's going on with him. That they, they see a decline because he was like one of 
he was, I personally think, the best player in the first year. And even the second year, I thought he was one of the top players. So this team has all of a sudden gotten better depth-wise and everything, talent-wise, but all of a sudden his plays slipped. And that's where the question I think a lot of people are wondering. He used to be so consistent, and that was what was great about him, is that if he had a poor game, he didn't have two. Is that he'd come back the next game and he would be the same old Elaine that we always knew. Uh, he, to me, he's just such a class player. And, like, I, I know for him one of the big things about team, and so I don't think this is maybe something that has, has been a negative for this year. I know one of the big things for him personally is is the cohesion, uh, is the, um, the chemistry of the team, which I know in the first couple of years, especially in the second year when things were kind of blown up or some things were tried in the middle of the year were very difficult. So I know that's one of the things that has been uh, not ideal for him in, in, in some ways. Like I've heard him talk about the, the chemistry. So I don't think that's an issue right now. Um, but, I, yeah, I don't know, I don't know why. It, I hear what you're saying. We're playing better. and When we were playing bad, he seemed great. And now that we're playing better, he doesn't seem as great. Is that what you're saying? Steve? Yeah, yeah. Basically, yeah. no. It's kind of like he, he. I thought he this year he would progress with the team and even play better. I thought because he wouldn't have so many responsibilities doing other things, like he wouldn't have to be covering for other people that or doing this stuff. That he would actually be his, his game would be even elevated even more. I know he's getting a year older and everything, but I thought it was going to be, if not the same level, better. I wonder if any of that has to do with the fact that um, Jada Merritt's now gone. Yeah, and I so I, I, it seemed like the two of them had a really good relationship mm-hmm. yeah. uh, on the field, off the field, whatever it may be. They both really seemed. Anytime Elaine was out of position, you would see Jada Merrick coming out of out of nowhere, off screen, and he would with some crazy slide tackle that would you know cover up for a, a mistake of Elaine's or vice versa. And I wonder if perhaps now he's a, a little bit worrisome with you know. Andy O'Brien, who has been just a, an absolute stud in the back, but he's not exactly, he, he wasn't quite the leader of the back line that... that or the most uh, fleet of foot, either. Or, exactly. And they've been breaking in a new player only a couple weeks at a time, either Brad Russin or Johnny Leverone, who he can't communicate with probably at all, maybe just very limited. So I, I wonder if that maybe has a real mental effect on him, uh, on his game. Well, I can say for one thing, the Chivas goal, the second one, I can tell you that it was clear that he had no confidence in Brad Russell, and he, that's why the other guy was wide open who scored the goal. I can't remember who it was. Eric well, that, that was Russell left his man. Yeah, Russell yeah. left his man, and he had no confidence in Russell getting back to his man, so he overcommitted, mm-hmm. and then that left There's been a few times. So you could tell a little bit that there was a lack of confidence in Russell. There's been a couple sure. times this year where the two of those together have kind of shared blame on a goal. Yeah. And and that's normally not the case with Elaine, and you it, you know it, it probably raises the question whether or not it's been that confidence in Russell. So. Goes back to Michael's comment about cohesion, about you, you know you wanted to see a consistent more consistency in the starting eleven, and you know I think my my response to that is we haven't really had the opportunity that much. I mean there hasn't been that many injuries, but it's like they all it's not like they all happened at one time either. It's you know you initially had Demerit and then and then you had uh, and then you had Kenny Miller and then you had kind of the inconsistency with the youngsters in in uh, in Kakuta Mane and Hurtado and then in addition to that, you know, you had the the, the revolving center back position. So all those things it's like you know, we're trying to feel out all these new players, and so yes, I mean, I don't believe Martin Rennie's had the same starting eleven for any game this year. If you know, or if if it has been the same starting eleven, it hasn't been more than twice, that's for sure. And so, given that fact, I mean, 
I don't know how much blame I really put, you know, I don't know how much blame I really put on the coach in that respect because uh, he's had to deal with some of these issues. And I think it still is kind of early in the season, even though, you know, we're about a third of the way in or whatever. I, I still think there still is a bit of a feeling out process. And so it will be, I think, a couple more weeks before we really have a good idea of where this team is, what its best starting 11 is. And it's going to take some time for us to, to get to that point. I, I, I think this brings up a great point and it comes back to what you were talking about as well, Michael, is that the whole starting 11 uh, yeah, idea of consistency. There was an article on MLS.com, I think it was this week, uh, following our match with Portland interview, I think with Caleb Porter, I think it was, and the title was Portland's secret, uh, secret to their away form or some sensationalist title. And basically one of the... They're getting lucky. No, <laughs> I'm, not sure, I'm not sure if it was the, the thesis of the, of the article. They're playing basketball. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure if it was the thesis or, or the exact main point, but one of the things was they said is we have a consistent 11. And I think that came from Caleb and a few of the players yeah. said, we have a settled side, we know who's playing, everyone knows their role, and, and that's one of the things that made our away matches so, so um, our away results so positive. But, and, th- and, this, and this ties in also with the, the, the bigger idea of how are, you, how are you playing. When you have a settled side, it's easier to play consistent home road. For us, I think with that question we maybe partly answered earlier, or maybe not fully, but I, I, when you, so you hear, you hear the gaffer going on Whitecaps FC Daily with Peter and say, we're not playing that different, or we're not sending them out to play that differently. Uh, and I think I think that's true. I, I think that I think that they're not telling them th- things that are super philosophically different in how they're playing at home on the road. I think they are just saying let's be a little bit more solid, ideally at the back on the road. So I think they're I think at home they're I think part of it is they are given more freedom to get forward and to be creative in the, in the final third and maybe even in the middle third. Whereas on the road, I think that freedom is. Um, uh, is not as much there. Okay, well, let's move on to one final topic for this episode of the podcast. And let's switch it to the other end of the pitch. Who would you like to see playing up front? How many would you like to see playing? And should we trade Darren Maddox? <laughs> I, th- I, no, thought, I, I thought we just traded him to the JFF. I think, I think Dar- the Darren Maddox is the stereotypical sophomore slump. The player coming into his second year as a professional had some success in year number one. Perhaps you know, you know, was very boastful about it and thought that you know year number two was going to be great. The word's confident, confident, <laughs> and didn't. I you know I don't want to I, I don't want to assume things, but you know maybe in off his off season preparations weren't what it needed to be or things like that, or maybe he meant mentally wasn't focused, expecting the success to be there. I don't know, but I think he still has the talent to be there, and if it's just you know the the fact of it's a second year pro who's kind of going through a downtime. I am I have full confidence he's going to rebound from that. Whether it's this year or not, I don't know. But I think he's a quality player that will produce for the Whitecaps in the future. But up front, I think uh, you know it really kind of bothered me in a way when people were like, "Oh wow, what a great game Camilo had up front." Well, the fact is his most success that he had in the Whitecaps, and perhaps the only thing Tommy Sowen ever did good was pay, play Camilo up top. And that's, that's the time when he scored the most goals and had the most success for us was the end of year number one when he was playing up top. And so I think that's where he needs to be. That's where he's going to be the most successful. That's where uh, we're going to get the most production out of him. And so if we want that out of Camilo, 
he can't be playing out wide. He's got to be in a position where he's near the goal, where he can take on, you know, take on defenders centrally and slip and slide and make through, make runs that are difficult for the center backs. I don't know whether it's in a four-four-two formation with the Kelly Miller or with the Darren Maddox. I don't know. We still need to see that yet. But I think that's the, one of the number one names on the uh, the number one the first name on the on the team sheet, and in that exact spot is Camilo at the top, not otherwise. Okay, I'll, I'll kind of make one one thing because this has bugged me because people don't really talk about this much. I agree, Camilo has been uh, an incredible part of the Whitecaps uh, MLS story and and thing, the, and I agree that it was good. The decision Tommy made was good. Uh, one thing that bugs me when people talk about year one and they talk about how great Camilo was and how he was our MVP and all that kind of stuff is, and, and you can. I didn't me- say he was in our, our MVP though. Oh, okay, but the yeah. but people I, did. I do that. Okay. okay, people did in general. Um, and you please correct me if I'm totally out to lunch on this. One of the things that happened in that those final few months of 2011 was uh, Eric was not in great form, and we were playing the audition for 2012 game, right? And so Eric was not started. Eric and Davide were both not starting those those last. It felt like a month and a half, two months. They were not starting any of those games, um, not because they shouldn't or they couldn't or whatever. I think part of it had to do with form. Part of it was because okay, let's give Nizar a try. Let's try some of these things, some of these players out. Um, I think Long Tan got some minutes and got that header against DC. I and think partly was because those specific players probably told the coach their feelings about him. I think that the the relationship between some of those players and Tommy Sohn, I think is was definitely a part of it. Um, if you look at you, I mean you can go back to the stories of what happened between Tommy Sohn and Maluda Cool, but that's another story. But um, so so that all happens at the end of 2011. You might want to edit all this out and that's fine. But at the end of 2011, Camilo is Camilo is starting and getting all the minutes. We have the game against RSL second last game of the year whatever yeah. it was. Two penalties, he gets both of them. He ends on 12 goals, Eric ends on 10. We live in a North American culture where goals is the most important thing, and he's voted most valuable player of the year. I'm not saying that he wouldn't still win if, if he had 10 and Eric had 10 or vice versa or whatever, oh, but but I think I think Camilo in 2011 benefited from being given the confidence of the, of, of the coach at the time. I think it would have been a totally different picture sure, sure, yeah, had, had the coach played... Uh, had, the, had, had the coach not um, not done what he did in terms of okay, giving that, certain that, players that's time. fine and let's not revisit you know no, but, who, no, but who, I think, who but, should have been MVP and who shouldn't no, have been MVP I know but the fact but the, <laughs> no, the, the fact is he got that opportunity yeah. and he showed that he can succeed in that position right I, no, so, I, I, so let's I, learn I, from that I don't disagree with you in the, in the position thing okay. I'm just saying when people are like yeah, 2011 when the Whitecaps was the year of Camilo no 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 I'm not saying you're saying I'm that, not saying that right. either I'm just saying that he showed he can be successful as a front striker yeah. and not a wide player yeah. See, this is what so let's learn from that and let's go from man. there Hot dog does this to people. It divides people all the time. What? Hot dog. Schnitzel. Schnitzel. Oh, that's why I call Tommy Sohn now. Hot, just hot oh, dog. Just I don't know. <laughs> try not to mention hot dog. Yeah, no. So, I, no, I, I agree with you the, the positionally and all that kind of stuff. It just bugs me when people talk about 2011. Like, Camilo was our best Okay, player. in all fairness, though, Eric Hasley, I don't want to dwell too much on the on the, the first year stuff, but Eric Hasley did score a couple, quite a few PK goals. I don't yes. know what the number is off the top but, of my head, including I, goals that, that Camilo created. Yeah. So, and they both benefit from each other. That's how the team game. Well, works I'm, I'm just, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, if Eric plays in some of those, in that, in even in that one game, those penalties are his, and he ends on twelve, and he'd have probably missed him anyway. The form he was in. No, no, come on, come on. Okay, I, so I think it goes back, back to the, back to the question. Yeah. What should our, what should we be? What should our formation be up front? 
I don't have an answer. Camilo needs to be <laughs> there. That's all I know. Next. Next. So I think when you're talking about who should be playing up front, I think one of the things that people we need to talk about or whatever is in, in this four, as I'm using the quotations with my fingers right now, in this four, he three, three, it really is like a four, two, three, one. We are playing yeah. with one real, real striker and ideally two wingers, wide players or midfielders that are playing wide or whatever. And so we are playing with a lone, we are playing with a lone striker essentially. So, uh, I think I've been surprised in the preseason and in the little bit of the season that Kenny has played at how I think positive his influence has been and how effective he's been in that uh, the middle of that three, uh, the middle of the three, if you call it a four-two-three-one or uh, that attacking midfielder with John Ford. With John Ford, yeah, with John Ford is a better name for it in uh, in in that four-three-three three, uh, formation. Um, so I think when he's healthy and. He should be available for selection on Wednesday. I think he is very. He's another option in, in in that role there. Who should be playing up top? I think also just depends on a little bit how how we want to play and who and and who we're playing kind of thing. So if we're if we're going, um, I think I do think Camilo should be in the lineup somewhere, and I think there's a strong case for him being that top guy. I I, I really appreciate what Corey has brought. I really appreciate what Tommy has brought. Um, I, I would probably start a Camilo or even a Darren, who we're not going to oh, we'll see on Wednesday maybe for part, but we won't see for a couple weeks after that. I think those are probably, should be, one of the, one of those two should be in that central I role. I don't think it's any question that uh, on this current season's form that Camilo has been the best center forward that, that we've had as far as, it, yeah, I, it's hard to say that I suppose on just a single game up, up top, but he, he, he has shown the best ability as a center forward to be able to hold the ball and to create and to bring his bring people in around him, whereas when you when you see guys like Darren Maddox out there, they've been on an island by themselves. Whether that's his own fault or or the fault of those around him, uh, it's been really hard for the center forward to actually get involved in a game. Whereas when Camilo was there, he was everywhere. Yeah. So I, I think right now you you have to give it to Camilo. The only problem that you run into then. Um, if you're not, if you're playing with a single uh, single forward, is that now the player who you were having on your left wing, who is kind of a, a he, he, Camilo plays on the left wing, but he does drift towards the middle a lot. Now you have to replace that with somebody, and who do you put on the left wing? Do you put Russell in that position, uh, and then who's your attacking midfielder? And there's there's a real trickle down effect. To that, whereas Camilo has shown that he's at least—I would much prefer him as a center forward—but he's he's shown that he's not a bad left winger either for us. Yeah, yeah, but I think he's better up and I think we've already talked about those options. I think Russell is a, a primary option to play left side, even though I think he's probably better centrally because we have—I think centrally you have Russell, you have Dago, and you have Kenny. I think those are the the three best options there. And I, and, uh, so I, fear, I think one of the I think so I think I think Russell can play that. I, I'm a that huge part. supporter of Russell, Russell, and I, and I think that right now he has to be in your your starting eleven. I agree. That that being said, I think that as a young player, he, he's in form right now, and I I think he will still be a contributing member of this squad throughout the entire season. But on the left side, he he seems to have a tendency to slip in and out of games. A little more than he does when he's in a central role, just because he's almost forced to be more involved. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that's why I would prefer to keep him in a central role. The, the, the other thing about that, about playing Russell, actually, what they did in Montreal, what I heard in Montreal was that he's playing on the right side, 
because they want that natural connection between him and Nigel. That they have a, like a, a relationship. They wanted Russell on the right to connect with Nigel. Because Nigel's playing right back. They put Russell on the right because of it. And that's obvious in training. Yeah, that's oh, yeah. You see them. What, what I would like to see is just going to 4-4-2, which is not going to happen. But if, if we were playing two strikers up front, I'd like to have Camillo and Miller when Miller's fit. Then when Miller isn't fit, I'd like to see Herzog in there. Because Herzog... I know he gets a bit of a bad rap from some, but he's there as a poacher. And mm. there's not many poachers around at the moment. He will feed off the crumbs, but he needs to play up there with someone. He cannot play on his own up front. Absolutely agree, yeah. yeah. And the thing with Miller is, obviously, he the, the lure of going to play against his Fife is going to be way too much <laughs> for him. And, I mean, he'll, he'll go, because, I mean, 2000 at Bayview, it's just too much for him to, to resist that. Is he really the long-term answer, though? Like, are you going to re-sign him after next like next season anyway? No, it, well, it, and it doesn't he, seem like he's going to... I mean, it, We're going to discuss that in the next okay. podcast. Uh, so, how, Michael, question for you. How do you um, deal with uh, Steve's time? Because, obviously, he's doing a lot of work for you and other people, and, obviously, he's working for 442 Magazine and trying to sell subscriptions for them here today. Or, <laughs> what are you talking about? Oh, you keep saying... <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna end this podcast with a quick lightning round, um, really quick, short answers, not too long. You can elaborate a little bit. We're gonna call this section thirty seconds to Mars. So, this is our new game show element, which we're introducing, called 30 Seconds to Mars. Each of our contestants will get 30 seconds to talk about various subjects. For each good point they make, they'll get a point and a little ding. And whoever gets the most points by the end of it all will win a Mars bar. What's the loser get? Not on podcast next week? Well, the, loser do, the loser doesn't get diabetes, so that's, okay, that's actually probably a, a plus point. <laughs> so, I'll hand you over to our hostess with the mostess, Steve. <laughs> Thank you very much, Michael. Okay, so first question. Other than Nigel Rio Coker, who has been the best newcomer to the Whitecaps? And why do you think that? Zach, 30 seconds. 20, 2013? This season, yes. Oh, obviously. best newcomer. Uh, I think Corey Herzog has been a great addition for uh, where he's come from, his price and all that. So I think Corey has been great. Corey, because of what, uh, you know, as Michael was saying, he's a poacher. He brings something else that we kind of don't necessarily have. Uh, it brings a different element to our, our strike force. Uh, I, th- I like to his, his age. Uh, I think his contract is good for our salary cap issues. Uh, okay, so that's, that's 30, 30 seconds. seconds. <laughs> oh, oh, I thought I said something wrong. So I only got one point. Oh. Yeah, because he would let you elaborate. No, oh, you, oh, but you, this is going to be a... I was going to go on to other... It's, 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 Michael call, it's Michael calling the points, not me. If I don't agree with you, you get, they the, get the same question. They get, <laughs> okay, so Jake. As much as he hasn't actually played that much, I'm going to have to say Johnny Leveron. Um, just because... Oh, you already like that. Just because it looks like for the, him and O'Brien have actually uh, formed a partnership that has been been very solid. He looks like he's the first guy who can actually move forward from defense. He's good with the ball on his feet. And he, he has a left foot that can then that can push it up to our speed guys like a Kakuta Mane or Eric Hurtado on the wing. In addition to the fact that he's 
uh, he's uh, still young, and he wait, still has a lot of one, only one round. Bass. Uh, I'll give you some more points. For I, I, I hate to I hate to sound repetitive here, but the answer definitely is Johnny Leveron. Uh, his, you know, even though it has only been a few games, uh, already you are starting to see the quality and the, uh, you know, as much as I don't want to say it, the improvement over Brad Russell I think is evident in the center back position after a couple of, couple of games. Um, besides that, you know, besides Nigel Rio Coker, I really think you need to say. That, that's a point from beside uh, that. I, don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I think you really need to say that the rest of these so-called newcomers have not lived up to billing. Um, I'm, you know, we have not seen the performances from the youngsters, the draft picks that we expected to have at this point in time. Uh, they were supposed to be the depth that was supposed to take us to the next level, and we haven't seen that yet. Yeah, Herzog and Heinemann are good, you know, uh, are good fill-ins, but they're not going to be the quality that's going to really make us the next level team that we want to be. So besides uh, Leveron and Rio Coker, you know, the newcomers haven't shone too bright. That was that was over 30 seconds, but I was enjoying what Mars was saying there. Can I, can I've I lost go, complete control, control of this. Can I, go, can I go again? I'd like to change my answer to Johnny Leveron. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so next question. We're going to start off with Jay. Is there anybody that they miss from the players that they let go last season? Oh, good question. Uh, I, I'll say that we, we miss... Uh, the easy answer would be Davide Cumiento, but what I am going to say is Eric Hasley, just because we, as much as I really didn't like him at the end, we haven't had a player who could hold the ball and who could be extremely clinical when he gets the ball up front. As well as the fact that uh, we... It, the, just um, not necessarily but the marketing, but the chemistry and the, and the uh, enjoyment that I got out of a game watching Eric uh, and Davide uh, is something that I, that I certainly miss. Oh, it's a shame. No points scored there, Jimmy. You've got to be kidding me. Wait, I think they, wait, wait, we got to oh, do this, oh, do this yeah, in the sound this room. You got to do 30 seconds later. Go, Mass. I think the answer is everybody who left, um, besides Barry Robson, perhaps. Um, the fact is that da- the losses of Davide Cumiento, Eric Hasley, Sebastian Latou, and even Dane Richards, and even Dane Richards um, during their times here, they all brought positive things. And I've said a million, million times that last year was an unnecessary revolution that occurred to the squad. It was obvious the, down, the downswing that happened when all those players you know, were let go or left. They were never adequately replaced. They still haven't been adequately replaced at this point in time, um, even though they weren't That's perhaps the most, uh, you know, the most effective players, or they had deficiencies as a collective group. That was the best team we've had the three, three in the two and a half years we've been in MLS. And the fact is that you know those are uh, those guys are are missed. That's for sure. Excellent. I didn't know this was just the agree with Mike <laughs> competition. <Yeah. laughs> okay, Zach. Anybody specific that they missed? I think I'm going to go back to 2011 because that's been my motto today. I miss ta- we miss Tater Torterson. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, okay. I miss Tater Torterson. I love Martin Rennie, but uh, I miss Tater Torterson because he was so good to supporters. Uh, he put supporters. Uh, he put us. 
Yeah, he was so good to us. And not just in the coming over and clapping or whatever, but in the relationship that he built um, with supporters. Coming out and hanging out and coming before games and uh, telling us the starting lineup and telling us what tactics. and uh, Maybe if he had done less of that, he could have had a better team on the pitch. Perhaps. <laughs> uh, the way, the way uh, every training session you went to, he would come after and he would hang out, have a conversation, and usually tell you one thing where he would say, but don't tell that to anyone else. I greatly miss him. And I appreciated you telling me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, no, that's 2011. I think last year I think is mostly spoken, is mostly spoken for. But, um, again, I, I have to say uh, that I mostly miss uh, Eric and Davide. 30 seconds. Who's on the clock? I know. This Come on. Where's okay. the buzzer? Last so word, buzzer. This isn't so much a lightning round. Yeah. A <laughs> well, you're in the, you're control of the buzzer, too. Right. This one you just get 30 seconds. Okay. Be tough. So, uh, we're going to start with Mass this one. Bigger injury impact from the beginning of the season, Jay Demerit or Kenny Miller? Uh, surprisingly, if you would ask me the time when both of them would have gone out, obviously I think the answer would have been Jay Demerit. But uh, Russin has not been the greatest, but I think he's had some, been adequate. The answer I'm going to give you is Kenny Miller. Uh, I think up top, uh, we have missed him uh, with Darren Maddox's struggles. I think it's been extra evident why we've missed him. Uh, the fact that we haven't played Camilo in that position is that another reason why we've missed him. Uh, the amount of options he gives us either playing as a withdrawn striker or as a striker is more uh, than Jay uh, So that's the answer. Okay, so Zach. Obviously, I'm playing for consolation with Jay here on this, but uh, I will say... <laughs> no favoritism. I, I will say the exact opposite, actually. I thought we were going to miss... Jay less and I think we miss him more I think one of the reasons why we have not got more clean sheets and we've not played more compact and tighter at the back is because we have missed Jay Andy O'Brien has done a great job at leading the back line Johnny Leveron has been a great surprise and or a great addition as he's been put into the team um, however there is something so intangible about what Jay brings to the, to, to the team his, his leadership uh, his uh, charisma his uh, bone-crunching tackles. Uh, uh, don't mention bone-crunching. It's a good question. Uh, what, I, what I'll say is that I, I, I can't pick now, now where we are two guys who would have been missed more on the team than, than these two. I, I wasn't a huge fan of, of Jay as far as the, uh, the, your number one center back before, but now that we've missed him, I, I think we really miss the guy who's leading the back line. Uh, and I think we, we miss a guy who has created a lot of chemistry uh, with the players that are around him as well. So I'm going to have to say Jay Demerit, um, just because I, I don't know if, if Kenny Miller is necessarily the answer up top. Uh, I think he's a, a good con- uh, he contributes quite well. But I think Jay Demerit is the, is the reason why our defensive has looked in shambles so often. Oh, okay. oh, I got like eight points there. That must be. <laughs> no, that was just the end, oh, of, the, okay. the end oh. of the game. Oh, I thought we were a couple. Of are, are there any more rounds? No, okay. Are there any more rounds? No, let's just. My, my last couple of questions were good. We can keep those for next okay. time. <laughs> so the end of that, we have in third place Jay oh. with eight points. Thank you. You're the winner because you don't get diabetes. <laughs> In second place, Zach with 11 points. What? Steve? Steve's catching him yes, off. Steve, Steve had you as a winner. Yeah. No, I missed the You've already won today. Bayern won. <laughs> and the winner of the first Mars bar is Massimo with 13 points. Oh. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you. He needs the added weight anyways. He's real fun. So thanks to everyone for making it to the end of this podcast. We're going to be back with another one quite soon. So 
just goodbye from all our guests. If you want to let people know where they can find you online, if they can find you online, Steve? At Whitecaps Beat and ready for Post America. Zach? Uh, at Zachary AM on Twitter. Uh, or you can get us a Master I guess, and others at, at Curva Collective on Twitter or on Facebook as well. Jay? At J underscore Duke and uh, on the fantastic AFTN Canada website on Canadian Soccer News. And Mass. Uh, at Mass Cusano, M A S S Cusano. And uh, you don't get too much action from me, but every once in a while you'll get some crazy ramblings. A bit like Darren Matic's not much action. <laughs> so uh, thanks for listening. I'm Michael McCall. You can find me on Twitter at AFTN Canada. You can read AFTN on Canadian Soccer News at AFTN.ca. So we'll be back with another podcast soon. So thanks for listening and take care.